Rachel Ehring from Dream Lavender Music, and you're listening to the Dynamic Piano Teaching Podcast, the show that dives into piano pedagogy without being stuffy. If you're a piano teacher who wants to go beyond the method book to create an engaging, innovative studio, you've come to the right place. So let's get started. Hi there, and thank you so much for listening to this very first episode of the Dynamic Piano Teaching Podcast. I am so grateful to you for tuning in. I wanted to take this first episode to introduce myself and then share some of my personal favorite teaching ideas and resources specifically for group piano classes, but most of which can also be used in private lessons. So I'll start with a little about me. This might be showing my age, but how many of you started learning piano through the John Thompson or Shaum books? I don't know if Shaum is even still around. I haven't seen one in many, many years. I started piano lessons in first grade, and I was so excited to learn piano. We had my grandma's old, old upright piano, one of those that weighs about 5,000 pounds in our living room. And my older sister was able to sit down and pick out little melodies on it, but I couldn't. The whole thing was a big, exciting mystery to me, and I really wanted to unlock the secrets to playing the piano. I was fascinated. So I started with my first piano teacher, and as I think was probably typical back then, she started me in a method book where I was supposed to learn to read notes on the staff from lesson one, and there were finger numbers and quarter notes and note names, and needless to say, I was completely lost and overwhelmed. My sister was two years older than me, and so she caught on right away, but I just couldn't comprehend these foreign little objects on the page and how they were supposed to translate to keys on the piano. I struggled along for what felt like months, with no one being able to figure out why I couldn't make the connection between the notes on the page and the keys on the piano, until finally my piano teacher one day decided I needed an easier book. Needless to say, I was not a natural. I think I felt a mixture of embarrassment, but also relief when she got out the super simple beginner book and I saw four whole note middle C's, and I thought, aha, this, I can play. And that's what I practiced every day that week, was four whole note middle C's. It was only then, when all I had to read was whole notes, that I realized I was supposed to be reading the notes and not the stems. My mom still loves to tell people this story that I was reading the stems instead of the notes when I first started piano lessons. I flew through those first couple of easier beginner books, and when I reached the book that I had originally started in, it all made sense, and I was able to master that book easily. Thankfully, method books have come a long way since then, and I think most piano teachers have more knowledge of pedagogy and how to break down musical concepts for young children. My next piano teacher was wonderful. Looking back, I can see that she loved teaching piano. She had prize boxes, stickers, piano parties, and all sorts of other things to motivate us to keep practicing. One of the things she used that is still so clear in my memory 
was a little metal box about the size of a matchbox that had five tiny colorful buttons in it. She would take a small section of a song, maybe a couple measures or a line, and tell me that I had to play it five times. Each time I played it perfectly, she would move one button over. But the catch was that if I messed up, I had to start over with button number one. Five buttons might not be your style, but I still remember the exercise vividly and I still think about it when I'm trying to master a section of music that is particularly tricky. Could I play this five times perfectly in a row or would I have to start over again with button number one? I went on to study piano in college with one of the most amazing piano teachers I've ever met. I'm sure I'll share more about her at some point, and who knows, maybe if we're lucky, she'll even come on the podcast someday. Dr. Wong had that perfect combination of flawless performance technique, incredible knowledge of pedagogy, and a laugh that could be heard all the way down the hallway. After college, I began my musical career as an accompanist, which I continued to do for many years, more than I want to admit. I honestly thought I would be an accompanist forever, and I got two graduate degrees in collaborative piano and worked for a number of years as a collegiate accompanist. After my son was born, I started having a hard time keeping up with the workload of being a full-time accompanist. It's a lot. Even though I had played much of the repertoire dozens of times and was a really great sight reader, there was just never enough time to practice. Not to mention that the evening and weekend recitals and performances were draining on myself and my family. I was starting to wonder about my future as an accompanist when COVID hit and sent many musicians, myself included, into a tailspin. I spent most of COVID being a mom but floundering mentally, wondering what I was going to do for work when things opened up again. I won't go into the whole story right now of all the jobs I applied for and didn't get, but what I will tell you is that I ended up right where I was supposed to be. As COVID was winding down, I was offered a job as the director of a music conservatory at a church that has been the perfect fit for me. I absolutely love it. I still do some accompanying for the church and school choirs, but it's not the stress level of collegiate accompanying. And most of my days are spent administrating a growing music school for kids who are excited to start their musical journey. I get to see the sparkle in their eyes when they come for their first piano lesson or pick up their very own guitar and learn their first chord. I get to interact with a staff of music teachers every day and hear what they are struggling with and what is working well for them in lessons. I get to offer them support and resources, and I get to teach private students or a group of young piano students. Currently, I have a class of six beginner piano students who come over from after-school care for piano class. So for the rest of this episode, I want to share a few of the ideas and activities that I've used with them that you might want to use if you are starting a group piano program or even in private piano lessons. The group class that I'm currently teaching meets in a large room, but there's only one piano. Our goal is to find a dedicated space where we can have multiple keyboards set up, but since this is Um, the pilot class, we're making the best of our current situation. Since having only one piano for six kids, of course, isn't ideal, 
I often will have another one of my piano teachers join me, and then we can use two adjacent rooms and split up the kids and have two pianos. It's an hour-long class, so it works well to split things up. The kids are ages six to eight, and after being in school all day, they need a wide range of activities and movement to stay engaged. Some of their favorite activities have surprised me because many of them are so simple and require hardly any planning or preparation. One activity that they always ask for is marching around with rhythm instruments while I play the piano or put on some fun march music. When we started, I had them all use rhythm sticks and keep a steady beat while following me, but now I'll let them choose different rhythm instruments and take turns being the leader. Another super simple activity that they request is drawing to music. They each get a blank sheet of paper and some colored pencils, and I sit down and play a piece of classical music while they draw whatever the music makes them feel or think. Then I let them share a little about their drawings, and I have no idea what this is about, but inevitably there's always a drawing of someone taking a shower. I don't know if their parents sing in the shower a lot or what, but it happens almost every time. Something that was completely missing from my piano education as a kid that I love to include in my classes and lessons is simple improvisation. There are a few really easy ways to do this with beginners. In the very first lesson or class, I teach my students white keys and black keys, high, low, short, long, typical first lesson uh, concepts. And then I'll bring out the um, song, Will You Play With Me, from the Faber and Faber Piano Adventures pre-reading book. If you're like me and can't keep the book straight, it's the yellow book. If you don't use the Faber books, it's a simple song in the very first book that is a student-teacher duet. And the words to the song give directions, such as, play white keys softly, please, or play black keys loudly. Even if my students aren't using that book, if they're a little too old for it or whatever, I like using the songs, that particular song, to get them playing in the first lesson. I believe that the more comfortable they can get experimenting and playing black and white keys all over the piano, the better off they will be as they progress. Gone are the days, at least in my lessons, of sitting in the middle of the piano and being stuck in C position for months on end. In addition to the Faber song that I just mentioned, I also have a packet of easy improvisation accompaniments that I bought from Tim Topham's resource library, where students play any white notes or black notes over a beautiful accompaniment part. I'll link to that resource in the show notes. I also just discovered a blues improvisation where students improvise on the black notes and white note A over a blues accompaniment. Since my beginners aren't confident with their note names yet, I'll put a little A sticker on the A's with some sticky tack so that they can easily find those particular white notes while they're doing their blues improvisation. So they're using six notes in any order, and it has a really neat bluesy sound to it. In the coming weeks, I'll be sharing some more of my favorite resources, such as picture books and improvisation stories that I like to use with my students. One of the things that I love about kids is that the simplest things can be amazing to them. My piano class is so motivated by stickers or the promise of getting to go first. You certainly do not have to hang the moon to be a creative piano teacher. 
With just a little bit of extra effort, you can add small activities to your piano teaching that will set you apart from the teachers who are simply going through the motions of one method book after the next. I hope you'll join me here each week as we learn together from experienced teachers who will share their tried and true resources for keeping their students engaged. I'm excited to learn along with you, and together we can take our piano teaching to the next level. I would love to connect with you and hear about your piano teaching, what's going well or what you're struggling with. You can find me on Instagram at Rachel Aaring, so feel free to DM me and tell me about yourself and your studio. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode, and I'll see you right here next week. <music>